0: Take your Bibles and turn to John 16 this morning. Uh, we're going to finish up the chapter 16. We're getting close, unfortunately, to the Scripture. We're getting close to crucifixion. And what Christian was talking about this morning, we're just reading the news and, and just just storing away files as we get them. Three red heifers have been found. Obviously, they've been are shipped to Israel. The temple that the, the Jews are waiting to be rebuilt has already been built in, like, blocks so it's stored in like a warehouse right now waiting to be assembled hey, there's a lot of turmoil last week I saw that a little like a thousand I don't know what the total number was of Levites are practicing singing in the temple I've also read that the all the priests priestly garments have been uh, made and they're stored they're prepared for the priests. priests are going through training on how to actually perform their duties in the temple so if, you, if you, you could say, well, I don't believe uh, I'm not this or that, whatever you're. If you're pre-tribulation, uh, I'm not arguing what you are. I'll just tell you was wrong if you don't believe what I believe on the way up, right? Just kidding. Listen, hey, we're preparing for the Jesus came. If we celebrate Christmas this year, we celebrate that he came to this earth, Emmanuel, God with us. And, y'all, he says he's coming again. Now, he's not going to touch the earth. He's going to call us, come up. And you can sit and argue to all you want to about what you're, if you're a dispensationalist, or whatever your times are, what you believe about the end times, I get mine straight from scripture, and I want to tell you this, I don't fully understand everything, but I know there's a God of order who does, and listen, people argue this week, are the chosen, who's the chosen, are the elect ones, can I tell you something this morning, if you're saved, you're chosen, if you're, if you're saved, you're of the elect, if you're not, listen, don't know your status, you're not chosen yet, right, or maybe you were chosen, but you're just resisting. I don't get into those arguments because what happens is there's people try to define it, and they would rather separate each other in the body of Christ than draw one another together. So does the Bible say it? Well, then it's, I believe it. You say, well, then how do you explain it? I can't under- explain everything that God has written. If I know everything that God knows, guess what that makes me? God, that's what it makes me. So this morning, I trust his word. I want you to see in John 16, if you were not, hadn't been with us previously, go back and look at the sermons. Not that this great preacher, but uh, there's some good words from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's preparing, John 13 through 16, he's preparing his men, his disciples and future disciples, uh, with factual information. He's, he's equipping them with spiritual maturity and saying, listen, I, I'm telling you something. And chapter 13 through 16 really is taking place in one night. Only men could write chapters of it. And only Baptist preachers could make it months of preaching through one night. So in, in case you've lost in, in the track of time, this sermon, or this sermon that I'm preaching today is taking place on Thursday evening or Thursday night, okay? And we know what's coming tomorrow. If tomorrow was Friday and we're living there, what's happening? He's about to have a false trial, a, a, a wrongful trial, and Jesus is about to be crucified on the cross. So we're on Thursday evening, thir- Thursday sometime before the crucifixion, And before the resurrection. Now, the sermon title is Overcoming Joy. And I wrote it that way so it'd have two meanings. Uh, One, if you just read it, you don't have to overcome joy like you do a disease, right? Overcoming alcoholism, overcoming sickness, overcoming whatever. That's not what I mean. This is a descriptive type of joy, overcomer's joy. I should have put it that way, but I left it that way just so it'd be a little bit controversial. Overcoming joy. Can you have overcoming joy? Not can you overcome joy, but can you have overcoming joy? And the answer is absolutely yes. And we're going to see this morning that the Lord Jesus Christ taught his disciples, therefore teaching us today how to have this overcoming joy. Well, let's get into the Word of God, John 16. We're going to pick up at verse 16. And Jesus tells them, he uses, if you will, a figure of speech, and he even says it in the New King James, that it's a figure of speech. A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this he says? A little while, we do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he, asked, he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Most assuredly, verse 20, I say to you that you will keep weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. I've had that underlined in my Bible, by the way, marked some time ago. Verse 21, he gives them a big a visual, a word picture a woman when she is in labor has sorrow because her hour has come but as soon as she has given birth to the child she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world therefore you now have sorrow but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you and in that day you will ask me nothing most assuredly I say to you whatever you ask the father in my name he will give you until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you in figurative language. but the time is coming when I no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I will do not, and I do not say to you that I shall pray to the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, And I believe that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, it has now come that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this word today, and thank you for these promises you've given to your disciples, who are faithful followers of you. In Jesus' name we pray. For his sake. Amen. Well, I want you to see this morning. Let's go into your notes. If you have your notes today, and I want you to write this down so you can actually keep record of something that you can tell your friends about around the water cooler, at the picnic table, or eating together, sharing together. This is important. It's why we give you notes because the Lord Jesus Christ has given us a powerful statement to his disciples and to us today that he wants us to actually go and act on. There's something forward thinking that he's speaking about. It's going to be for them immediately. It's gonna be for them in the future, and it's gonna be for us, every disciple of Christ also, for now and in the future. If you look at your notes there in verse 16 through 18, the disciples of Jesus were confused, scared, and anxious because Jesus spoke in a veiled message of his departure. They had questions. And have you ever had a question of God? Anybody ever asked God, why now? Why this? Why is this happening? We look around our world, we always argue about, uh, is this God's will? Is God really in charge of my life? Is God really in charge of the government? If God was in charge, then this would happen. We have all kind of questions of God today as disciples, do we not? We ask how and why and what, and we don't understand. And, and so we're not unlike the, the disciples that we f- call, and we, now we revert, revere them as St. Paul and St. Mark and St. Peter and St. James, Right? But these were average, regular men who lived their lives and had real questions like you and I have. They had given up everything to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd given up their businesses, their good jobs, they'd given up their benefits. And here they are, Jesus is leaving, and he says, Listen, I know that you're upset, but I'm, I'm going away. For a little while, you won't see me, and then a little while, you will see me. Well, how long is a little while to Jesus? Peter talks to us and tells us, listen, that one day is equal to what? A thousand years for us is equal to what? One day to the Lord. So Jesus has died on the cross. We know this. We're moving up to today's date, And he's been resurrected for how long? According to his timetable. Two days. Anybody anxious for something in two days? For us, it's 2,000 plus years, right? We would say that he died 2,000 years ago. But if the Lord was saying, it was two days ago. He's not limited by time, and he's not he didn't have a calendar up in heaven. Uh, he's in charge of all things, we know that. But he doesn't get anxious. And have you guys ever, when we talk about his Christ return, when I was young, I used to say, no, not today. I want to grow up, I want to get married, I want to have children. And, and all of us, I think, selfishly ask all those things of God. Listen, can you just put it off one more day? Now, Christian said that we... Um, that it could be today and we all were excited about that i was even practicing my takeoff move like superman in the back just in case the lord comes today i know it's gonna be a twinkle of an eye and then uh steve arthur didn't hear me to say this morning it was wendy's birthday and we were talking among each other and he said it could be today i was like no it can't be today because no man knows the day you know or now you've already said it's today so it can't be today and that way you'd, you'd have to you'd beat scripture we were just joking with steve this morning Y'all, have you thought about it being today? All the world's information's happening. Listen, you can go through any part of the prophecies and look through and say, listen, they're being fulfilled. It's happening as we watch the news, if you watch the correct news, right? Don't get caught up in this world. Some people are spending, we got friends of ours that are, there's a whole group of people, and I won't say much about them because they are our friends, and they used to come to our church, but they believe that they're saving the planet Little by little, they went and sold everything and, and bought a plot of land, and they're making peace come on earth. Uh, they believe that the Lord returned in '70. There's a teaching right here in Aiken and Augusta, uh, deep thinkers uh, they're considered, and they believe they're making the world better. Does anybody in this building think the world's getting better or worse? It's getting worse, you can't help. It. and you can't make it better. Uh, you can't sell everything, move out to the country, get your plot, and basically make that part of the square better. The world's still happening, and the world system is, is run directly by Satan himself. Well, the disciples, they had questions, and, and Jesus had answers. If you remember, go with me just a couple pages over in your Bible, John 14, John 14, verse 1. Look what Jesus, if you remember this, we often use this in funerals, but if you remember this, this is what Jesus spoke to his disciples before he's getting prepared. He's getting them prepared to actually know that he's leaving, and he says this in John 14, 1, When you're there, say amen. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places, your Bible might say. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, the stressful thing is, okay, you're still leaving. But verse 3, he kept speaking. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, what does your Bible say? Come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. What? So let's just ask the basic question. Did Jesus have plans for his followers to be with him forever? Because where was Jesus going back to? He was going back to his Father who is in heaven. So Jesus had full plans for you and me, if we're faithful followers of Christ, to leave this planet and actually go live with him in heaven. But we also know that New Jerusalem is coming down from heaven to the new earth. So where are we going to live forever? Yeah, we're not going to live in heaven forever. Right, that's a temporary stay. That's an apartment up there we have. But we're going to live in the new earth forever with God being our king, if you will, with God living among us. Now, I didn't know that as growing up. I told you I was very stressed about heaven because all I saw was, I was fat baby cherubs playing with little wings, playing harps. And I was stressed out that I'm going to stand around all day long. I was a little bit hyperactive growing a lot hyperactive growing up. And singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty forever. That sounded like hell to me. Like, what in the world am I going to do? I mean, God's good and he's worthy, but I can't stand around doing that forever. Couldn't imagine what it was like because I was thinking as a child, and as you spiritually mature, you start thinking, how wonderful is it going to be to actually do work with my hands? And by the way, work is not a curse. If some of you today, many of this generation does not want to work because they just quit, right? The great reset, they just don't want to work. They want you to work for them. But here's what I want you to understand. God ordained work before, in seven days of creation, he ordained work before the fall of mankind. Adam and Eve tended to the garden. It was something that God gave them as a gift. So work is a gift from God. It's not a curse. You might hate your job, but listen, ask God. He might give you another one. Ask him or you might say, endure, because we're going to see in the message today, he wants us to oftentimes persevere. Also in John 14, 27, Jesus said this to his disciples, "'Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid.'" So when you ask the questions and the disciples were there they were scared they were they were anxious like we can get today and Jesus is very clear don't let your heart be troubled listen believe in God you believe also in me i'm taking care of you now how many of us actually believe today god's taking care of us four of us okay Do it again. How many of you, just raise your hand, how many of you actually really believe God's taking care of you? No matter if you got the C diagnosis, the heart diagnosis, if you just lost your job, no matter what you have going on in life, he's in charge and he'll take care of us. I told you when the nurse, when the heart thing was going on, she said, you don't do this, you could die. And I'm like, threaten the Baptist preacher with heaven. That's not a good option, right? (laughs) Because if if I'll die, then that means I'm, I'm taken care of, right? I don't, I'm not ready to go today, but if it's today, I'm ready to go. So we understand that God gives us this peace, and you say, well, how can you have that peace, and how can we speak like that? We're strange people because we can talk about heaven, we can talk about dying with grace, knowing that God is sufficient to carry us here and hereafter. Amen? He's a good God that we serve. I want you to look at the second part. They were perplexed in verse 17. They were perplexed because they remained spiritually ignorant of what Jesus was saying. Remember, he's speaking in figures of speech. He's God on earth, Emmanuel. That's who Jesus is. Although they desired to ask Jesus for clarity, what do they do? Same thing we often do with each other. When you need an answer to prayer, what do you usually do? Well, today they didn't have texting, but they would have been texting everybody. They'd been putting it all over social media. Had they had the computers and the, where, the ability to do that, they would ask everybody under the sun what they thought until Jesus was the last resort. How many times do we do that today? We talk about it with friends. We ask somebody, what would you do if you were in my situation? And everybody's, where I'm from, is really happy to tell you. I'll tell you what I'd do, right? I'll tell you what I would do right i tell you i would not do. And they give you advice, and if it's not based on the Bible, it's wrong advice. So many people, listen, psychiatrists and psychologists' offices are filling up today because people need answers to the things of life. People have no hope. People are anxious. People are living on on day-to-day, paycheck-to-paycheck, saying, what is going to happen to us? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to the world? And the Lord's up in heaven saying, listen, turn to me. Listen, cast your cares on me because I care for you. My burden's what? Light. Jesus says, I'll make it light for you. Follow me didn't say he'd make it easy, he said he'd make it light. Because we will have to endure suffering. But they were perplexed. instead of asking Jesus, they asked each other. They were asking. And they had this chapter. So you say, well, pastor, they didn't have the Bible like we did. No, but they had Jesus walking with them. And they had the Old Testament. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says what? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways do what? acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight didn't say make your paths easy he said he'll make your paths straight and listen have you ever hiked in the mountains especially the blue ridge when i first got here i'd been a long time me and McKinsey used to do waterfalls all the time and i said i'll take the youth we're going to go waterfall sightseeing and i didn't like teenagers then and i loved them but didn't like them being around them because they goof off and they they get hurt and they do dumb things and I was one, so therefore I was an expert. I had three. So I'd take the teenagers up to a place that I, I remember the waterfall being beautiful. It was just kind of a tabled waterfall. I think it's called Yellow place, Yellowstone or something like that up in near Caesar's Head. But the, it was just a flat rock, like a mushroom, that water comes off in the next one and the next one. And they, the, they said, Pastor, how far is it out there? And I said, well, it's not very far. And I didn't look at the map. No one looked at the map. We, I just said, it's just right here. Me and Kenji hiked to this thing before. And we've hiked to some ten-mile hikes. The waterfalls didn't remember this one was a long one. But if you've been up there, we hiked all the way out, and it was a long, long hike. It was. I didn't have the appropriate shoes because I myself thought it was just a short hike. And some of the kids ran ahead because I was about halfway through, saying, "We're just going to turn around and go back because it's, it's too far." But some of the banshees had already ran through the woods, and there was no straight path to the waterfall. It was crooked around the mountains, around the mountains, around the mountains. So I had to go all the way to the end to get the students so that had ran ahead, uh, w- much uh, uh, far ahead of us. And it was several miles into the, to the waterfall. It was terrible. And by the time I got there, they're on the top rock up there going, oh, look at me, look at me, right, and, and about to fall. Those paths are straight. I think of that hike that time, that how crooked it was to get to where they were. I was trying to get to them quickly, but I had to wait. I had to actually walk around the paths around the mountains to get where I'm going. But I got to the destination, no one was injured, and we came home safely. Same thing in life, whenever we have all the issues, as you get older, we face health issues, we face wealth issues, when children come to our lives or can't have children, whatever it might be, God knows and God understands. We have to trust him in all things with all of our heart. We'll go back to your notes and look at verse 19. Jesus, full of compassion for his own, asked them if they had questions or a question about his comments. He gave them clear answers. Here's what I want to tell you today. Just like Jesus helped his disciples that time, during this time, whatever the calendar dates this was, some 2,000 years ago, if you ask of Christ, he will give you clarity. He will always answer your questions. You say, well, he, I've been praying about this thing for a long time. Listen, then wait. Your, your answer is wait. Because he always, listen, he always answers prayer. Say that with me. God always answers prayers. Always. He might say yes, he might say no, he might say wait, and he might tell you like Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. But God always answers your prayers. Mark it down because he's a faithful God. You're in a waiting period now. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. What happens if I have to wait? The answer is, you have to wait. Does that feel good to anyone that's waiting? No. We, we know it's not, tr- not good for me and not good for you if you have to wait. He gave them clear answers. I want you to know that. Verse 20 I want you to see this when he, talks, when he spoke with them. Verse 20, he explained that they must endure sorrow for a season, but their sorrow would be turned to joy. It would be turned to joy. You say, well, how in the world can you take sorrow to joy? And he's going to give an example of a mother who's giving birth. How many of you all have ever given birth to a child in the room? Anyone? It's easy, right? You say, oh, funny, you should say that. I've been, I've been in the room when three came into the world and going, what in the world? Nothing's ever going to be the same, right, in life. And and I remember when Alex came out, Wendy's like, she's going through all the pain, and she gives natural birth. We were in the military. We were home on leave, and they told us, uh, if you have, uh, we were pregnant in the Navy, and they said, you have to go to the Army hospital. When I called us Army, I don't want my son to be born in an Army hospital. And so we went, and they said, oh, I was Braxton Hicks. Go ahead and leave. We're sitting at Rucker somewhere in Augusta, and Wendy goes, <sighs> I've never had a baby before, and they tell me this is false labor. I don't care what they say, this baby's coming out of me today, right? And she did like Ruckers for a long time. Made it back down to Fort Gordon, and of course, she was right. The baby was here. The, the mother knew better than the doctor that the baby was coming that, that day. No epidural, no medicine. It was all natural for first one. And uh, I heard some... I heard some Unlovely voices in that maternity ward because there was many other women giving birth while she was doing it as well. It's like they all came at one time. So, uh, and when he came out, I said the wrong thing. I was young. I was only twenty years old, I guess, something like that, twenty-one. And she says, "What does he look like?" Have anybody ever seen a newborn baby right when they're just delivered? I said, "He." Of course, being truthful, he he looks like an alien. (laughs) His head's all like this, and he looks weird and wet and gross. Wrong things to say, I remember that as a young dad. If you're a young dad, don't ever say that. Say he's compared to something, he's beautiful. I don't know, it's, it, it, he's, children are not very beautiful when they're born. But these men understood, guess what they had to do? They didn't have hospitals during their time. They understood their mother gave birth to them. They'd been there with their wives. We know that actually the, 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 uh, some of the men were married. They know that their wives, when they had children, obviously they knew the birth process. They knew the pain and the, that they heard what happened and then they saw what happened and then they saw the blessings of actually having a, a child. So when Jesus uses this example, he, he's very clear to them what's going to happen and he gives the example so they would visually stimulate their brains and go, oh, we get it. There's a period of sorrow and then joy comes in the morning. We, we, we've got it, Lord. Not that they actually had it completely, but if, when you read their scriptures and you read what Paul writes, they fully understood Go to verse, if you would, 23 through 24. I'm no, sorry, 21 to 22. Jesus further gave them a word picture there. They understood. Sorrow was their near future, but soon they would experience spiritual joy. Go to Romans chapter 5 with me. This is a lot of scripture chasing this morning we have to do. But I want you to see what the other writers of scripture wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, beginning in verse 1. This is Paul writing. And Peter will write, James will write, John will write later. There's many things that Jesus told him. I can't tell you everything now, but if I go away, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to be your teacher. Romans 5, beginning of verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we do this? I know we have different translations. But can we read verse 1 and kind of hide this in our heart? This should be our memory verse. If, if, if you don't ever memorize any scripture, remember this scripture. Let's say it together. Read it for, together with me. Romans chapter five, beginning of verse one. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me continue. Through through whom also we have access by faith into grace in which we stand, and not just stand, we and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that the tribulation. Produces what? What does your Bible say? Perseverance. How many of you guys like perseverance? Keep on, keep it on, right? That's what it really means. So it takes tribulations in the in the Christian life to get to perseverance. Well, that's not all, because Paul keeps saying, and it's like a run on sentence that keeps running on. Watch what he says, verse four, and perseverance. What happens? Character. And adding to this, and character. What? Hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who, has given, uh, who was given to us. This is another gift of God. So, is tribulation a gift? The stuff you're going through, the junk that you're going through today, no matter what it is, is that a gift from God? Yes. How many of you are saying it's a blessing from God? Change your language. Because some of us are going through tribulation going, I can't believe I'm going through this. I can't believe he said that, she said that, he did this, they did that. We complain about it and say, look at that the tribulation. Look in the mirror and say, listen, young man, young woman, old man, old woman, you need to be thankful that God's given you this tribulation. Because in this tribulation, he's teaching you to persevere. And in his perseverance, listen, this is what he's doing. This is for you and this is for me. He's teaching you character. How many of y'all would love a stronger ability to persevere in tough times? Anybody? How many of you would love a strong character? When everyone speaks of you, they speak of Christ-likeness. They want your character to be that of Christ. Well, you don't get it just by sitting at home and reading your Bible. You don't get it just by attending church. You must go through the tribulations. You must go through persevering. And then, listen, you must come to the point, God's got a purpose for this. We must get our character built by God. And then, ultimately, he wants us to live in that hope. Not a a hope so, like we guess we're going to get a present for Christmas. It's a a no-so hope. Listen, I know that God is in charge. I know that my hope is in heaven. And that's why we can say, listen, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's why you can see people going through tribulations going, how in the world do they still speak a good word for Christ? It's because they've been through this before. They've been on this path. Is it easy? No, it was easy. Listen, we don't jump on it and say, give me tribulations, God. That's a dumb thing to ask for because he's going to give you what he has for you your character is different than mine, but his char- our character ultimately is supposed to be like whom? Like the Lord Jesus Christ. It takes a little bit. You, you guys ever widowed? That's the only thing I can remember. You ever widowed something when you are little or when you are older? If you're bored? I gave Judson a pocket knife. A lot of people were shocked that I gave a five-year-old a knife. I believe kids can actually use tools and uh, uh, guns, knives, all the things that we, we are afraid of. If you teach a child young, uh, they'll respect it as they grow up if you just they think it's a game if they get it when they're teenagers cuz they they see what's on movies. Well Judson sits out on the front porch. He'll just sit out there even today when I drive up when he's waiting on us to come, he'll be sitting out front with his knife and just taking a piece of wood and whittling. He'll cut his name Jud and some wood. No cuts yet so far that I know of. I, that, no, I don't know how happy his mother was that I I did that, but that, that was his gift and he used it regularly. To whittle. He likes to whittle. And you make something. You make, usually boys make something that can stab someone else with, right? An appropriate stick, that, a dart, an arrow. We make something foolish like that uh, because that's just our nature. But sometimes you'll be creative with that knife. And I, I know I used to be the same way and still like to do it when I'm bored sometimes. But I want you to see here God transitioned. Look at verse 6. Romans 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. Anybody godly, anybody born godly and you were a saint from birth, there's none. And if you were born to the Catholic, listen, you had a Catholic religion or Catholic faith and the priest poured water over on you, listen, that water came out of the sink just like it came out of uh, my sink. That water is no more special than the water that's in the city well. A priest can't do, uh, say a few Latin words and, and cro- do the sign of the cross and make that water any more holy than any water on the planet. So if you were baptized, you say, well, I'm banking my salvation. on when the priest gave, he sprinkled me, I was christened by my mother and father. I have a certificate, have a little beautiful lacy-looking uh, uh, cloth that, that my mom said I was, I was christened in, and therefore I'm saved. There is nowhere in Scripture you can back that up. The priest cannot absolve or wipe away your sins. Uh, they say they take away the original sins and give you the opportunity to make your own choices. That is not from God. That's made up from man. So if you're depending on that to get to heaven, my brother, my sister, you're not going to heaven. That should have been a big amen from a group of Baptists, right? If you're depending on what a priest did for you by saying some words over you and dropping water on you, you're not going to heaven if that's what you're depending on. You must put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must have a personal love relationship with Jesus Christ and he only. It's not Mary. It's not any of the saints. It's Jesus Christ. He alone according to what the Scripture teaches. You say, well, I don't agree with that. Then you disagree with God. Ask, Matter of fact, if you're a Catholic background, go ask your priest or priest to show you in Scripture what the Scripture says. Take the Scriptures with you and say, is this true? Then why do I need you? Because who is the high priest today? His name is Jesus Christ, according to Hebrews. We need not to go to a man. You don't come to me and confess your sins. You go to God the Father and confess your sins in the name of Jesus Christ. That's how we have access to the Father, is through Jesus Christ. Let's continue, because it's so good. He continues, verse 7. For scarcely a righteous man will die, will die when one die. Yet perhaps a good man, he maybe someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? That's all of us. That's everybody, the whole world. That's the John three sixteen world. Verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, We shall be saved from wrath through him. This gets better and better every verse. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Because he rose from the dead, we have this hope. Amen? Verse 11, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We've been made right with God. Isn't that good news? Paul's like a little kid telling at Christmas, and I got this, and I got this, and I got this. That's why he tells us this story. So if you read it, I like to read it like a five-year-old would tell you about what they got for Christmas or what they got from each present because Paul's saying, and listen, he's going to give you tribulation, and he's going to give you ability to persevere, and he's going to give you character, and he's going to give you hope. And listen, it's not because we deserve it. We were enemies with God, and because we were enemies with God, he decided he loved us anyway. And he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And through his life, through his resurrection, we now have eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, if we would believe, if we would trust him. Isn't that good news today? We serve an awesome God. Let me quickly get through the notes because there's so much more in this. Prayer was to be a source of their joy. They soon would be able to ask God the Father anything in Jesus' name, and it was promised to them. Jesus said, no longer are you going to ask me. How are you going to have a conversation? You're going to talk to the Father. Because we're going to be so much like Christ, because the Holy Spirit, listen, when we're made, when we get to the place, we're being sanctified day by day by day. And when we get to heaven and we have the glory of God, listen, Sean as he is, that's how we're going to be known, right? We're going to be like Jesus when we get to heaven. We'll have that new body and we'll be like him so we can have conversation day after day for millions and millions and millions of years. Can we be before the Lord and, and for all eternity? You ever think through that? That I'm going to heaven one day, and then I'll be with Christ forever. Well, verses 25 through 29, Jesus committed the Father's love to his disciples, and they understood. They understood it. Verse 30, the compassion of Christ helped the disciples in their time of need. They acknowledged their faith in him. They knew he was from heaven. They even said, we believe. If you go back and look at the the verses there, they said, now we believe. No longer do we have this veiled uh, figure of speech. You've told us plainly, and we believe. We believe that you're from God. We believe that you're from heaven. And everything you've told us, we believe. Now, we know that Jesus has told them, listen, it's coming up. You're about to be scattered. You're about to have a troubled time. But just remember, that sorrow is just for a short season. Because joy is coming. Joy is coming to their life. Well, verse 31, 32, we finished up here. Jesus confirmed their beliefs with the question. Do you now believe? He then proceeded to tell them his hour of departure was near, and he would be crucified within the next 24 or so hours, because it's Thursday afternoon, it's Thursday night, and he's telling them I'm, just shortly, it's coming. My time of departure is coming. He has prepared them all the way up to the hour. Jesus warned of, of coming tribulations, but he offered them peace to make it through. James 1, 2-4 tells us very clearly, Listen, consider it joy, my brothers, when you go through all kind of trials, because what's going to happen? The testing of your faith is going to bring about what? It's going to bring perseverance and wisdom. He's got all these other things you're going to get. More gifts, more gifts, more gifts from God. And we should acknowledge that and live through that. It's James 1, 2 through 2-4. Finally, the last part of 33, there in John 16, Look what Jesus says. Jesus Christ is the victor. Through him, all disciples can be overcomers. Have you ever thought about that? Overcoming what? This world, the world system, everything that Satan has. Jesus said, listen, don't fear, because watch what he says very clearly. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let me give you a couple verses to read at home. 1 John 4, 1 through 6. And 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. Let me read those again to you. 1 John 4, 1 through 6. And 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. John further tells us more about being overcomers in this world. He tells us how to do it. Sometimes there's this blanket, you are. How do I get it? We know that's through Christ. So the question is, isn't this an overcomer there? Is the victor? We say it. You, there's tennis shoes made today for the Greek goddess. Y'all know what that is? the swoosh? We say Nike, that, that, that's how we actually say it, that means victory, that's the, the goddess of victory in the Greek mythology, but it's really Nike, Nike is this, in your Bible, that's what it's talking about, so if you look at the word victory, the overcoming means Nike, the victory that we have in Christ Jesus, not a Greek God, not a false God, but the one true living God. Isn't that amazing to think about? What an awesome God we serve. Can we do this? It's time for our invitation. I want you to think deeply about the questions I gave you in your bulletin. Are you over an overcomer through Christ? You cannot be an overcomer unless you have Christ Jesus living inside of you. There's no other way. He's the only way. He's the truth, the way, and the life. The Bible's clear. Are you telling the watching world of his love for them? There's people who need to know this. If Jesus truly is coming again, are you telling your family and friends? Telling the people closest to you? Are you telling your enemies? Because remember... We all at some time, we're enemies of God. And finally, what will you do differently this week in order to live for Christ with overcoming joy? You should walk. We used to sing a song when we were kids, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Right? And we'd say, where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. And that's where it lives. The joy of Christ lives within us, deep within us, deep into our soul is where we have it. And you can see people's lives. Do you have the joy of Christ? You can ask your spouse, do you see the joy of Christ in me? Ask your coworkers, do you see the joy of Christ in me? They'll tell you the truth, unless you're their boss. And then you might have somebody who can hold you accountable and tell you the truth. Listen, we can have this joy. We are going to have the tribulations, no-brainer. We are going to have the tough times. We are going to have to persevere. But God is building our character so that we might have that hope. And so that when we are threatened with death, with the rest, whatever it might be, we can stand confident say, I have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. He will see me through. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you today that you've given us this uh, Nikkei, Lord, this victorious hope as an overcomer in Christ. We know throughout Revelation, you you begin to the churches how they can overcome. They've overcome this world, Lord, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. Praise the name of Jesus. Thank you that you've supplied this for us. And I thank you that you're still saving souls today. And I pray if there's somebody here today that doesn't know, that they know, that they know, that they've... Given a heart, and life to Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation. Those who are watching, Lord, by YouTube or Facebook, or Lord, sometime in the future, I pray they would actually humble themselves, realize they're a sinner in need of a Savior, and how good You are, and how You change lives. Lord, we have hope in You. We love You. Thank You for loving us in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Church.